Naive. It's Exceptional Educator Tom once again, and we're going to take you back to my fourth grade year at East Heights Elementary School and feature my homeroom teacher, Miss Stephanie Summers, who is now retired and well-deserved retirement for her, I might add, because not only did she have to put up with me, but as a fourth grade teacher, she had to assist students in completing writing portfolios, which were mandatory at the time, and uh, quite a job for both the kiddos and the faculty, but we got through it, and she made it quite painless, I must say. So we're going to talk about her career as a teacher, the highlights of it, the teammates she shared it with, and we're also, of course, going to get her advice for others who wish to follow in her footsteps and become future elementary school teachers. Even if you're not aspiring to be an elementary school teacher or never did, you're going to appreciate this interview, and I guarantee you, you're going to learn a heck of a lot from it. So, kick back, relax, and get ready for Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Episode 5 of Season 4. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Fulton to Frenchburg, Fordsville to Flemingsburg, we've got you covered as we blab in the bluegrass, exploring and celebrating all things Kentucky, from the high-class but absolutely not high-priced North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson, KY. I'm Sam Moore, and it's time to feature another teacher, and I've got just the perfect person to be featured, more than deserving, and I tell you, it's no surprise that she had such a profound impact on my life, especially when you consider that she actually wrote a poem for me at the end of my fourth grade year. Now, how many teachers write poems for one of their students? And for some reason, she took it upon herself to write one for me. And uh, her name is Stephanie Summers. She was Stephanie Anderson at the time that I had her. And she came to my school, East Heights Elementary, right after her former school, Hebbardsville Elementary, closed down out in Henderson County. So uh, a number of their teachers came over to East Heights, herself included. And you hate to say that you're glad a school closed. In fact, I won't say that. But had that not happened, Stephanie Anderson at the time, Stephanie Summers now, and I might have never met. And I would have never had the opportunity perhaps to be in her class. And I was very thankful for that chance. It was uh, a very rewarding experience, despite the fact that we were required to do writing portfolios at the time, which required four uh, in-depth writing pieces, plus a, 
a letter to the reviewer, the uh, writing requirements for fourth grade are quite a bit different now than they were when I was going through. Not saying I'm old or anything, 33, but uh, at any rate, you know, with the help of her and her support, she made that uh, even a somewhat enjoyable experience for me and the other pupils in her class. So we'll find out more about how she did that coming up in my chat with her. And uh, we'll also get some great advice, great wisdom, also some information and insight into her career and her experiences as an elementary school teacher all those years. She is now retired and living on the West Coast, so uh, we will find out more. About, I'm not going to give you her address, but we'll tell you <laughs> whereabouts in general she is and how she's spending her time these days for those of you who uh, might have known her or had her, which is liable to be. A fair number of you. Even if you didn't, you will definitely be in for a real treat when you hear Stephanie Summers, our featured guest today on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And before we get to her, though, as well as a bluegrass brain buster, let me remind you that I am just an email away, and I'm always tickled pink to hear from you, regardless of what you have to say related to the program, things that we should be doing Things that we should be doing better, things that we are doing well, good, bad, and different. I'm always appreciative of that feedback. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my email address. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S. B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Also, hit me up at that Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. All of my previous shows are there. If you missed any, you want to go back and hear some again, they are all easily accessible and ready to be heard. And you can also stay up to date with teasers on future shows and further updates as they are presented. Make comments, leave messages, and don't forget about those podcast directories. We're a part of four of them now. You can check out Blabbing in the Bluegrass free of charge on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. V-U-R-B-L is the most recent one to add Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Like I said, they are all free of charge, and they are all easily accessible, so no excuse not to get your blabbing in the bluegrass fix each and every week. And you know it's not the same for me without you, because talking to myself would defeat the whole purpose of this thing, right? So, before we get to Stephanie Summers, who is patiently waiting in her happy little home, let's reveal this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. The goal is to have one of these each and every week, so we'll give you the question now. While you're listening to Stephanie, you can brainstorm the answer, but don't put forth too much in it because you might, <laughs> you know, you might miss something quite pertinent to your daily routine that'll make your life better moving forward. So don't put forth too much effort into pondering the Bluegrass Brain Buster answer, because we will give it to you at the conclusion of today's program. But, you know, last week we had a Florence-themed question. We told you that Florence Y'all is famously printed on the side of the water tower there in the city because it was originally supposed to be an advertisement for Florence Mall, but the city prohibited advertisements up that high, so they had to... Uh, Switch out the M for the Y, and that's how we get Florence, y'all. Well, we have another Florence, Kentucky-themed question for you this week. The community of Florence was originally incorporated in 1830. I want to know, what was Florence's first English name? 
Again, the community of Florence, Kentucky was first incorporated back in 1830, and I want to know what was Florence's first English name. Think on that, but not too hard. I will have the answer for you in the program's final segment. Good luck. Blabbit in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. Today we are beyond blessed to have uh, one of my favorite former teachers. Hard to believe I had her almost 25 years ago. It was uh, 1997, the fall of that year, the spring of 1998. And she is uh, my former fourth grade teacher from East Heights Elementary School in Henderson. Uh, I had her for homeroom. I had her for language arts. She taught life way more than her line of duty called for. And uh, so I'm beyond flattered that she uh, accepted an invitation to come on today and let me grill her. No, I'm not going to grill her. But <laughs> anyway, here to share with us some insight about her uh, fascinating background in the classroom. Let's welcome to the stage the one and only Stephanie Summers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. A lot of you probably remember her as Stephanie Anderson because that's what she was when um, when I had her. But um, anyhow, we are thrilled that you have joined us direct via Zoom from Oceanside, California, where you are spending your retirement years. Now, give us a give us a weather report. What's the what's the weather like in Oceanside this morning? Oh, it's it's sunny and warm. That's pretty much the year-round um, weather here in Oceanside. <laughs> kind of one of the draws is it's always sunny here in Southern California. And here in Oceanside, we're just situated just in this perfect little spot where we get 70-degree weather quite often, almost year-round. So, so you're, you're spoiled, aren't you? Um, we are quite spoiled. And people here, the locals, if it just varies a few degrees, they're like, oh, it's so hot or, oh, it's cold today. And it's like, yeah, no, it's 70. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's like, if you think this is cold, you should try Kentucky in December. Exactly. Or hot. You know, they think hot is 78 degrees. It's yeah, like, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. under than 70 is, is unacceptable almost. Exactly. Now, you're, um, you're pretty close to San Diego there, aren't you? We are. We're just... Um, about 25 miles from San Diego, 25 miles north. So oh we're basically gosh. still in San Diego County, actually. So see that <laughs> that still counts as the metro, I would say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, it's great to talk to you again. And now, how long have you been retired? I retired June of 2019, right before the year, um, the school year where the pandemic was was beginning. So I got out at a very Yes, that did work in your favor, didn't it? It did. And I hate to say that because I would have been a trooper right there with those other teachers, but I honestly will say that I am glad I dodged that bullet <laughs> because I don't know how they how they're handling things as well as they are, but they sure are. I oh, know. Yeah, you would have you would have made it work, but yeah, it's funny. Um a little less than a year after after you retired is is when that all went down. And um, gosh, thank goodness for zoom and google meets and all these other virtual options because that's right <laughs> i don't know how we could have ever pulled something like this off 20 some years ago exactly <laughs> yeah anyway technology has really been a a blessing now we know you're an ocean side but for those of uh those of us uh, in the audience who might have not crossed paths with you since your retirement from henderson county schools tell us how you're spending your time during these golden years oh well I spend 
my time. Let's see. I'm at the beach. We're only five miles from the beach. So I'm at the beach almost daily. Oh, um, such a rough life. I know it's awful. I take long walks. I enjoy boogie boarding. Um, there's a local outfit that goes well watching that I go at least couple of times a month and enjoy seeing the dolphins and trying to catch sight of the whales. I'm very spoiled. I am working part-time. I'm doing some private tutoring and teaching a little bit online and just sort of dabbling in things that I can do here from home that are still oh, education related. So I'm staying connected to some families and kids and doing what I love to do, but I have tons of free time to enjoy this beautiful part of the country. So you get the best of both worlds. And exactly. Gosh, you could even tutor from the beach if you really wanted to. I won't say that I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't right. You. <laughs> well, you, your students can get the little sound of the, the sea in the background. And That's the... <laughs> right. My background doesn't have to be virtual when I'm hanging out at the beach working with kids on, no. on Zoom. So <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> Not at all. Now, uh, Stephanie, when and how did you first determine that teaching was your calling? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, honestly, when I graduated high school and all my friends sort of knew, you know, what they wanted to do, I was lost. I, I had no clue. So I went to Murray State University and you know, took my gen ed courses. My mom was a nurse. And so I was always kind of drawn toward helping people. And I've always loved kids. So I thought pediatric nurse, but I don't have the stomach for that. <laughs> so about my second year in at, at um, Murray, I decided just to take an education course. And I tell you what, I was hooked. I don't know if it was, well, I know it was probably the professor more than anything. His passion, Dr. Joseph Faust, um, just a basic intro to education and his passion for just how kids learn and early child development. I was right on board. So I was hooked from there. And I knew from that moment that elementary ed was, was where I wanted to be. So thanks to Joseph Baust. <laughs> I really do. I really think it was that one particular course and, and just his, you know, like I said, the spark that he had, he had me hooked. And it was more, I think what caught my attention more than anything was he said something like, you know, teachers always say, oh, I teach fifth grade or I teach chemistry. And he's like, no, we teach children, not content. We teach kids. And that really connected with me. And so I was passionate about learning how to connect with kids, trying to teach them anything, whether I was going to teach them writing or math or how to crochet or play basketball or whatever. Yeah. I was like, the, so. that, that's a great quote though. The students are more important than the, the subjects. So. Than the content or the subject <laughs> or the grade. That's right. Absolutely. And you taught a a number of students through the years. So how long did you teach? I taught for 27 years. 27. 27. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I know um, that after, uh, after 27, you can retire in the state of Kentucky. It sort of varies from state to state. but Right. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I felt a little guilty for kind of watching that number come up and saying, hey, I'm ready. But I was, I wasn't burnt out by any means, but I was beginning to feel some fatigue. And, you know, I wanted to come out here. We, my husband and I wanted to come out here and, and, and try this beach life a little bit. And yeah. so I went ahead and, you know, said, Hey, if they're going to let me do this at 27, I'm going to take it. And like I said, I'm still working some part-time just to, to still get to have that, that feel yeah. for, for teaching, but yeah, 27 years was perfect for me. <laughs> that salt water was calling your name. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Cause uh, you'd vacation there quite a few times. We Before have, we have, retired. yes, we have friends um, that we were visiting here each year for the past 10 years or so. So we kind of knew early on that this might be someplace we wanted to kind of try out. So this has yes, been in the plans indeed. for a while. But now in addition to uh, 
teaching a number of kiddos through those 27 years. You had a few kiddos of your own, didn't you? I did. I did. I have two children, um, Whitney and Jake. Gosh, Whitney's 29 and Jake's 25 or six. That's terrible. I have to do the math anymore to keep up with how old they are or I am. It's yeah, easy to lose track. I did. And my husband has two kids. So together we have four and we have five grandchildren. So awesome. now are, yeah. are Whitney and Jake still here in Kentucky or are they out there with you in California? Actually, no. Um, my daughter's in Wisconsin. She works at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, oh. But Jake is still in Henderson. He actually just bought the house that we grew up in. I, when we, my husband and I moved, we sold our house in Niagara and another family bought it, but they've recently moved and my, my son bought that house. So he's back in the same house he grew up in and his son will go to Niagara elementary, which is where I went when I moved from East Heights. Um, because we had actually moved to Niagara and I thought if I have the opportunity to teach where I'm living, that's what I wanted to do. So. Yes, indeed. And it's kind of a small world. So now when you come back to visit your son, it's, it, it's, it's kind of nostalgic. That's right. I'm back in the same house. It's been updated and remodeled, but it's the same old place. And, and he's such an old soul and so sentimental. It's perfect for him. He's thrilled. So, well, yeah. that's good to hear. And it's a win win situation for all of you, I'd say. That's right. But, uh, anyway, now many future teachers look up to teachers uh, of their own while in school who equip them with the courage and inspiration to pursue education. Now, you mentioned the great Joseph Bow. So uh, in addition to him, why don't let's expand a little more on that and talk about some of your uh, other former teachers that you had growing up who had a profound impact on your life and maybe influenced your uh, ultimate career path to an extent. Sure. I, there were there were so many, but I would like to to mention one in particular, and that was um, Becky Schmidt from East Heights. I don't know if you remember Miss Schmidt from East I had Heights. her too. Yes. <laughs> well, when we moved to Kentucky in 1980 from Ohio, I was in fifth grade, and she was my first teacher that I had. And I'd always been a good student. I'd always kind of just fit in in Ohio with the other kids. And when we moved to Kentucky, that wasn't the case. Um, everybody had this strange accent, or they thought I did. And um, <laughs> What I was learning in Ohio um, was it a little different than in Kentucky. So I was, um, I, I needed some differentiation to kind of keep me motivated. And Miss Schmidt took me under her wing, um, made sure, you know, helped me make friends, which I never had trouble making friends, but I was here um, and differentiated my instructions so that I was still learning and I wasn't bored and I wasn't confused. Um, so yeah, she probably, I mean, yes, Dr. Bouse class at Murray was kind of the thing that said, yes, this is what I want to do. But when I think back that year with Ms. Schmidt in fifth grade, her helping me transition, um, I think that also was, was what drew me to teaching. And I had the opportunity years later when I was teaching at East Heights for those few years when Hebbardsville closed um, to work with her, which was amazing. You know, she was not only my teacher, but now we were colleagues too. Um, yeah, so she was kind of like a mentor at that point. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I was still early in my teaching career. So yeah, so I used her more as a mentor and, and it was just a lot of fun. And so and unfortunately, she got sick and didn't live long after her retirement, which just totally broke my heart. Yeah, she had cancer. I think she I was in high did. school, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she did. But, but I, I hope that she knows that knew the impact that she had on me. 
So well, when, <laughs> when I think of all of my teachers that I had in Henderson and so many that were wonderful, she stands out above all though, because she helped me make that transition and learn to love, love it here in Kentucky, where I felt like an outsider when I was 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so she made you feel like you were a part of the Kentucky crowd, even though you that's were right. I'll be real honest. I sound like a true Kentuckian because I think because my friends didn't understand my Ohio at my Northern accent and I didn't understand <laughs> theirs. So I had to assimilate somehow. And now it's just here. And was it the Cincinnati part of Ohio? Uh, we were from Dayton, Dayton, oh, okay. which is just North of Cincinnati. It's only 300 miles away, but the cultures were very different. <laughs> yeah. Now I can really hear it uh, up in Cleveland. The Cleveland accent is <laughs> yes. you know that's one of the northern yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> whenever somebody from cleveland talks to me i generally know not nothing no, no offense for those of you that might be from cleveland originally they're listening exactly. we love you, but it's but it's just a <laughs> it's different it's a, it's a very distinct <laughs> accent shall we say <laughs> correct <laughs> yes indeed so you went to murray state you had dr bouse that was a good class now did you do any student teaching while you were at murray state I did. I actually did my student teaching in Caldwell County, which isn't too far from Murray. Yeah, Princeton. Um, yeah, Princeton. Um, and that's actually where I got my first job. So I did my student teaching and graduated and they were impressed and I loved it there. So I, they didn't have a teaching position open my first year. So I accepted an AIDS position where I was actually the teacher of a um, they were starting a new program. It was kind of like an in-house suspension to keep some troubled kids in school. Oh. Um, I became their teacher for weeks at a time and grades three through five. And that went very well that year. So they said next year, if there's an opening, we'll interview you. And they did. And they hired me, thankfully. But the awesome. it was crazy because I was actually due to give birth with Whitney in two weeks. So they're <laughs> like, OK, we're going to we can't discriminate legally and we're going to hire you here. But we know you're going to be off for six weeks, your first year into teaching. So it was a wild ride that first year. Yeah, that was quite a whirlwind, wasn't it? Yeah, but they were great. Um, they they did they worked with me and I had some great mentor teachers there so I would have loved to stay there but my husband moved relocated back at the time relocated back to Henderson and that's where our families were from so we eventually moved back you know I was well, I'm glad you did <laughs> me too me too I'm thankful for the years in Caldwell County and I'm sure I would have had a great career there as well but they they sure helped bridge um from from college to getting me established there in Henderson so I'll always be thankful for those few years I had with them as well yeah made for a a nice transition now how long sure were you did. how long were you in Caldwell County um just two years just the the year that I worked as that um as an aide and then my first year of teaching and after that I was offered um Gary Rest from Hebbardsville he was yes. principal at Hebbardsville Steve Rest he called and said hey I've got an opening you want to interview and I came up and did an interview and I taught at Hebbardsville until it closed and then we transitioned all of us to East Heights and then yes, I eventually moved out like I said to Niagara because my family was there my kids were going to go to Niagara school and I just kind of wanted to to follow that path absolutely yeah but your yeah. first year at East Heights is is the year that I had you and yes. you uh, let's see you stayed at East Heights for what was it three years or so yeah it was about three years it sure was I thought yeah so <laughs> you and, and I might have left there about the same time <laughs> we probably did and that was fun for me too because I was a student there as in my fifth and sixth grade years so it's yeah. funny how things just kind of come around and <laughs> 
it was it I definitely had a great career for sure small world yes <laughs> yes indeed now the field of education that obviously treated you well for uh, many years but as most people learn rather quickly nothing worth doing is easy so if you wouldn't mind Stephanie talk about some of the biggest challenges you faced uh, early in your teaching career and describe how you overcame those challenges certainly um gosh honestly the biggest challenge was this is going to kind of sound cliche but it's so so true was balancing family with my career I love my career and I could put 110 percent into lesson planning and evaluating student work and contacting parents but then I had this new baby at home and I was I was fairly newly married still as well and trying to balance this new brand new family and you know leaving school at 410 or something you you didn't just leave your work behind so you take all this work home and you've got this new oh it was and you never I, went to class to do work on Saturday and Sunday oh my gosh every <laughs> yes every weekend I mean you have you know you do but then eventually you try to set boundaries you know you're like well I'm going to give myself Sundays with my family and make sure I get this done on Saturday and it's okay if I have certain carryover um it it's hard to put into words, but it takes years to learn that balance. Um, And I think that's why a lot of teachers leave the field early on, you know, they do a few years and they just, it's so hard to figure that out. And they realize that it's so demanding. Um, But if you're called to do it and you love it, you know, and you have great mentors and you allow people to help you figure that out along the way, which I did, um, it was definitely worth sticking through. But I will say, you know, I want to go back sometimes and apologize to my own kids when they were little. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. And then to your students, you see them and you're like, yeah, Aww. you had me my first few years. I did the best I could. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were a real slave driver, Stephanie. No, oh, I'm kidding. Oh, gosh. Well, and I know. <laughs> Only for- kidding. For a few years, I, w- I would have someone say, well, how many, how many kids do you have? And I wouldn't go to my two children at home. I'd go, oh, I have 18 this year. And they're like, no, I meant like in your family, how many kids do you have? And it's like, oh my gosh, I think of my students before I even do my kids. Ah. So yeah. Just you thought they were talking about that. your, your classroom kids. Yes, and they were talking about I'm, your own children. Yes. So learning to balance that, you know, I'm sure in any job is tricky, Um, but with teaching, you know, it's, you're never, you don't clock out at the end of the day. There's always, you know, things going on and parents that need that questions answered and kids that have needs and just learning how to balance that so that you can meet the needs of your family and your, your classroom. Oh yeah. Parent, uh, well, of course, parent teacher conferences and then faculty meetings every Thursday. Oh gosh. And coaching cheerleading and going to basketball games and working the burgoo and PT. Yeah. It's just, but it's great. I mean, it's part of it. And if you embrace it all as, as part of, of your calling and your career, you make it work. Now, were you, and, were and you a cheerleading coach, Stephanie? I got roped into coaching cheerleading <laughs> in Niagara. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I was never a cheerleader, didn't know anything about cheerleading. But, you know, they, they have a need. You say, okay, I'll learn, I'll help. Of course, what I did was I grabbed people who knew things about cheerleading to help me out. <laughs> and um, tried to learn from them. Oh, gosh, we got, well, Debbie Pirtle from the high school. She, oh, yeah, she's a season pro. Yes, she came and, and helped us out. But, yeah, I mean, you become a jack of all trades, especially in a small school like Niagara. We all had to kind of, you know. There were only so many, uh, so many staff members to choose from and everybody has all these things going on. So it was like, all right, I'll learn about cheerleading. 
Yeah, you, <laughs> you sort of had to keep an open mind to almost everything. Didn't That's you? right. And it was a blessing in the long run. The first year was tough. But after that, it was like, yeah, I can do this. Again, it goes back to you're working with kids. It's not so much about coaching cheerleading. It's about working with kids and helping them become the best that they can yeah. at what they're trying to do. And then you reach out and find resources that know something about the actual topic. <laughs> like <laughs> I, a real inter- cheerleader, for example. <laughs> yeah, but I interviewed the uh, Union County wrestling coach. And of course, you know what a dynasty uh, Union County is in wrestling. And, right. and I tell you, he's, he said basically the same thing. You know, you're, you're not only trying to produce good wrestlers, you're trying to produce good people right 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 <laughs> and, uh, high standing citizens exactly in, in their later years now uh stephanie teaching as you know is a collaborative effort in many cases and trusted teammates can uh, offer invaluable assistance support and friendship along the way so why don't you give a shout out to the educators with with whom you worked closely I think I'm gonna know a few of these names and uh, and explain how they enhanced your teaching experience sure well uh first and foremost Mr. Rust you know just helping me get here from um Caldwell County back to Henderson County when Uh I taught at Hebbardsville and Um, he was my principal for one year isn't that funny (laughs) yeah um and um so many well all of the teachers I mean Hebbardsville is such a tiny little school um, so those teachers welcomed me here to Henderson. And then when we moved to from Heversville to East Heights, I got to teach with Carrie Rowe and Jama Whitesides and others as well. But those those two in particular, we all became great buddies and um taught fourth grade together. And then of course I spent most of my years um at Niagara after that. And yes. um Leanne Seawert and Gina Gray and I were a great team. Um I moved from fourth grade to third grade and we we made a really strong team a great bond we balanced each other well and we had fantastic leadership out there at Niagara with Miss Sellers and um, Miss Onan as our principals so yeah so many teachers that like you said you become family and friends not just colleagues absolutely so so you and Miss Whitesides didn't know each other before East Heights um well actually she worked a little bit at Hebbardsville she kind of came in and did some work at Hebbardsville I thought she might have been there for a bit yeah, she's a few years younger than me in high school, so I just knew of her then. But yeah, that's our friendship developed when we were at Hebbardsville and then transitioned there to East Heights. Yeah. And um, she went to Niagara, too, with you for a little while, didn't she? She did. She actually first, um, before I um, transitioned from East Heights to Niagara, she did. So yeah, it kind of looks like I sort of followed her around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes it's meant to be. <laughs> I guess but, so. um, She is now the guidance counselor at uh, South Heights, isn't she? She is. She I sure is. Yeah, <laughs> Jameis, good people. Y'all she were, is. Uh, <laughs> y'all were right. Um, well, your classrooms were uh, technically put together. There was a there was a door separating them, but <laughs> we kept that door open quite often. You kept that door open quite often. That's right. It's I'll never forget. Teaching. Both you and Jama had little tubs full of pillows in mm-hmm. your in your rooms and whatever I could because I always had to stay after school for clubhouse so I, I would bribe you to <laughs> let me lay yes. in that tub after school we and- sure did we had those cast iron tubs that we would drag into those classrooms like you said just fill up with pillows <laughs> and bless your heart a lot of times you let me but uh <laughs> anyway those were those were fun times now uh speaking of people you worked with um there was Laneve Hall. Now she was out there with, at Hebbardsville with you. Oh, yes. She? Yes. I love Miss Hall. We had great times together, too. 
Absolutely. I'm pretty sure she retired shortly after um, Hebertsville closed. And I know she was at East Heights for one year. I had her for social studies. And, yes. Um, then I think um, and shortly after that, she probably retired. But um, but anyway, that was a that was a fun time. Now, was it always either third or fourth grade that you taught? Were there any it other was. Grades? Yes. Actually, one year. Um, gosh, I guess I was still at East Heights. I took a district position that was when they were just beginning what they call curriculum specialists at the time. And so right. I was sort of a writing specialist at several of the different schools. I love doing that, but I, I miss the, I worked with teachers more than kids and that's just not my thing. So I was right. like, please let me just go back to the classroom. That's really where I want to go. <laughs> Mr. Long um, in uh, personnel allowed me to go back to the classroom. And I, I learned that year. That's just where I wanted to be. So you were one of the first the classroom. You were one of the first curriculum specialists, right? Yeah, and I only lasted a year. Um, like I said, I I, I have I have mixed feelings about that. It's like, well, maybe I should have stuck that out and tried that. But I just, in my heart, I felt like, you know, some teachers go into teaching and want to teach in the classroom for a while and then want to be a principal or work in some kind of administration. That's not my thing. <laughs> I learned that was not my thing. I needed my own people, my classroom, my families, my parents, my my co-teachers and that's where I thrived so you wanted to I, stick with the little munchkins I didn't did you? that was that was my calling and I was I was thrilled to have the opportunity to try something different um but it also helped me realize where I wanted to spend the rest of my teaching years yep and, and you went to Niagara that was your home until until you retired it sure was <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was pretty awesome now when I was in your fourth, your fourth grade class, Stephanie Summers, we were required to submit those all oh. too common, used to be common, not anymore, writing portfolios, exactly, <laughs> which uh, required a considerable amount of time and attention. These could be extremely taxing and stressful for both students and teachers but you certainly made it more manageable for us Stephanie so why don't you describe uh, how you sought to make writing easier and even somewhat enjoyable for the pupils in your classroom yeah I actually I mean I know a lot of us had a love-hate relationship with those uh those years of of that writing um assessment that the state of Kentucky had, but I actually enjoyed it. I like teaching writing. I tried to make it fun and relevant for the kids um, mm -hmm. and, and to help teachers make it fun and relevant. So just learning different strategies where we could break it down and actually have fun with writing and not make it so taxing. Um, I know we would try to study, um, pick a favorite author maybe and, and study, well, what did that author do to make that story so fun for us to read? And we'd look at little strategies about how they use certain literary devices or whatnot and, and just try to teach kids to play around with those and have fun with those and teach kids to collaborate with each other and write together and help critique each other's writing. Um, yeah, anything you could do just to make it, if you, if you make it more, if I could make it more fun, that would take a little bit of the stress away, I think. Yeah, um, and the but, pressure. I mean, overall, it was stressful and a lot of pressure for teachers and kids. You're right. But, yeah, students and teachers a lot. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, was, I enjoyed the process of, of I guess, the challenge of trying to take something that was so hated by so many because of the stringent, um, oh, just everything that was tied to it. It was right. a challenge to try to make it more fun. I liked how, we, you know, whenever we were writing our 
our memoir, our personal yes. narrative, you would always uh, read us examples of others from the past. And, yes. and those would a lot of times get the juices flowing. And uh, Yeah, and right with the kids. That was one of the things that I learned early on. If I was expecting you all to do some type of writing assignment, model it by doing it myself. And that way also I'm I'm feeling the same frustration and struggle that the kids are. And they see me struggle and how I'm going to work through it. And then they can say, oh, okay, well, here's what she did to get through that. So why don't I try that? <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. uh, what I, what I got a nice little cackle out of at first when I, when I originally found out we had to do it was the, uh, the letter to the reviewer. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, tell you, I thought that was the, the most hilarious thing when I first heard about it, but then it's funny. You started reading us examples and uh, somebody from a year or two back who had written a letter to the reviewer, they, they tried to tie it into uh, March madness. And I was a big basketball fan. So I was like, yeah, let's talk yeah. about some basketball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but then you were like, no, Sam, you don't want to say what he said. <laughs> you don't want to say, well, it's time for March madness once again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I had to, Oh, I'm sure I found something else basketball related. To, yeah. You made it work <laughs> to, to tie in there. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, the, uh, the portfolios disappeared, I think, shortly after I graduated. I had to do them my senior year, but then now they have different writing requirements, don't they? Exactly. There's still some aspect of the writing assessment, but it's very different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much more manageable now. Yeah, of course, I know you got in on the, those first few years of MAPS testing, didn't you? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And they're still doing MAPS testing. And they're still doing that. Now, that's yeah. like... That's that's in the fall, is it not? Well, I th you know when I retired, we were doing it three times a year in the fall, Christmas, and spring, so that we could you know track student growth. Oh yeah, that's true. They do it several times a year. Yeah, <laughs> and it's great, but you know I don't know as a teacher sometimes it, I would you know in the end it'd be like well I, I get this, but is there are there any gonna are there gonna be any weeks where I can actually teach new content where we're not just always assessing? You know, it's yeah. it's just a balance of trying you know and like you said in education things ebb and flow, and trying to be we... an advocate for the student and you know. I want what's best for this kid and here's what I need them to learn this year. So yeah, like how can, <laughs> how can we increase what they know if we're spending all our time figuring Testing. out what they already know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> In virtually every career field, uh, adjustments and adaptations are, are necessary to keep pace with, um, with the time. So Stephanie, why don't you give us a few examples of how instructional philosophies and, uh, and practices evolved during your uh, tenure as a teacher? Sure. Um, the thing that comes to mind first for me is just how much um, in recent years we've really focused more on teaching that kind of what I talked about earlier and teaching the child and not just the curriculum. I mean, I not know we've content, got a, yeah. right, we've got a curriculum that we want kids to learn, but you know, when they're in third grade, they may not be on third grade level. So I've got to differentiate and meet them where they are and try to get them as far as I can. So really over the years, it became more for me. It was almost like not just kids that had special needs that had an IEP, but it was like all kids had their own individualized sort of IEP. It was like you were just differentiating for everyone, which is very difficult to do as a classroom teacher, but it's what you have to do. It's what kids need. You sure. know, so, so just learning a lot in recent years about how to make that work in a classroom setting 
and, mm-hmm. and helping the kids uh, realize more what they need to learn and ha- helping them set goals for what they want. You know, I don't remember being so involved in what I was learning. It was like my kid, my teachers told me what I needed to learn and that's what I did. But nowadays I want, you know, we want our, our students to know where they're going and have them help kind of create the path. So they're more involved in, in their own learning and by that way, the they can sort of write their own book. Yeah. And when, you know, teacher, parent teacher conferences at, at the end of my career, the kids were there at the parent teacher conference, which was unheard of years ago. You know, we didn't want the child there. We wanted to talk about their kid in private, but right. the kids were there actually saying, look here, mom, dad, this is what I'm doing. And this is where I need to go. And here's how I'm going to get there. And so by the end, kids were leading their own parent teacher conferences with me just being a facilitator. So <laughs> those are some of the great changes that I felt where we were going in the right direction. But- I noticed that uh, in my time too, a little bit, because when I was in elementary school, I, I never went to the parent teacher conferences, but by the time I got to high school, I, I generally went with mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about you, so you should be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might've had to tone down there harsh comments if I was right there but uh, <laughs> but anyway yes that's that's true and you know in, in recent years we have seen more and more kiddos coming with the parents and I know that uh, the changes in technology throughout your time as a teacher that that changed the philosophies too quite a bit I'm sure it certainly did yes and you know ultimately I guess what what stands out for me the most is that we're teaching we're starting with wherever that child is in their development and just helping push them as far. So I might have, you know, a third grader that's reading on a first grade type level. That's okay. We'll start there and go. And then I've got this child in third grade who's on a fifth grade level. Well, I'm not going to hold them back. We're going to start with where they are and push them too. So you've just got, you've got kids working on all different levels. Not everyone's doing the same thing anymore in the classroom at the same time. And kids just, that's just the way it works. And you want to somehow make sure everybody gets a a reasonable challenge, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, indeed. But speaking of technology, back uh, when you taught at Caldwell County, you, you probably didn't have a uh, a computer in your classroom. Oh, did you? no, we didn't even have internet in the building. No, yeah, I can remember <laughs> at East Heights after school one day was the first time we actually plugged in. We plugged that little cord into the wall and we got a little bit of internet there at school and we were kind of playing around with it. So yeah, I, when I first started, there were there were no personal computers in the schools at all. So and now just now think, that, all the students All in kids the have their own devices, yeah. They all have their own Chromebooks. Crazy. <laughs> and my grandchildren who are two, I have some two-year-olds, they, they can work through those apps and different, you know, they already know how to navigate at two. <laughs> now, Stephanie, it ought to be illegal for you to have grandchildren. Hell yeah. <laughs> Got one, the oldest ones in the second grade at East Heights. Now, uh, which aspects of elementary school teaching do you miss the most Stephanie Summers oh I miss the connection just with that one particular group of kids all year um, and their families Um, that's probably what I miss the most and then of course the sense of community among the teachers and the staff at school as well but but mostly it's you know in August meeting that brand new group of kids and their families and and just getting to know all about that child and in their family that whole year and just seeing those kids every day. I, I do truly miss that. I'm still getting a little of, you know, that teaching experience here at home now in my retirement, but it's not the same. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's not. It's not, not quite same. as personal, is it? <laughs> no. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by the time you finished a whole year with with each group, you you probably felt like you could claim most of those kids as oh, your own. I'm telling you, you do. You spend. I mean, literally, the kids would even say, "I think I spend more time with you than I do my mom and dad." You know, I'm asleep <laughs> most of the time, and I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. We do. We spend a lot of our time together." And you and during that time, you get to know all about, I mean, everything you, you learn what they like and dislike and what they're afraid of and what their goals are. And, you know, I, I do miss that. Oh, I can imagine. Now, um, when you do this online tutoring now, um, are you tutoring California kids or Kentucky kids? Oh, all, all from all over. I have some kids here in California local that I tutor. Um, yes, but I'm on a couple of different platforms where I've taught kids in South Africa. I taught a child over in London. Oh, I had a Kentucky? kid in no, Jamaica. <laughs> I've had a few Kentucky kids, but yeah, so it's, it's great to be able to online reach out to kids literally all over the world. And that's one of the first things we do in any lesson is just pull up those maps and everybody shows where they're from. And we just, ooh, and ah, and and the most fun is the time change because it might be seven o'clock in the evening for them and it's two o'clock in the morning for me the day before or something crazy like that. That is pretty awesome. So, so you, so you work with kids in the middle of the night, your time. Sometimes I do. I'm known to get up and have a class at one fifty in the morning, but See? I'm retired. I can nap <laughs> in the afternoon. I don't mind. There you go. You sort of alter your sleeping schedule a little bit. And, exactly. <laughs> and adjust to it. So Stephanie Summers is global. <laughs> that's yeah I with their online say. tutoring well if I, <laughs> if I know anybody needs a good tutor I'll refer them to you there you go I'd be <laughs> I'd be honored <laughs> yes indeed well look at you that's uh, awfully nice of you to say now in reflecting on your noteworthy achievements in the field of education Stephanie which ones bring you the greatest sense of pride and gratification and what makes these so special in your mind Gosh, um, you know, when I read that question, I don't think of achievements that I made personally, because my goal being there wasn't to do anything prestigious. It was, you know, just to do the best I could do with each student that passed my way. And when I see a former student and, you know, whether they're at the middle school and telling me how they're doing and excited about something or or whether they're adults like you, you know, showing me what you're doing with your life. That makes me, that that's my um, sense of accomplishment. Just you know, to know you had a hand in it. Oh my gosh. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, but I guess to know I had a hand in it, of course that feels good. But then just to think about the path, you know, when they left me and the path that those kids chose and what they did and all the other people they met along the way. Um, yeah, I get the biggest high, I think, just from, from seeing former students doing their thing, <laughs> succeeding in life in whatever they've chosen to do or sharing hardships that they've had with me along the way, you know, because we can all relate to. So, yeah, because life's a struggle for all of us, whether we're at the top tier or the bottom tier. Exactly. You know, so. <laughs> but I absolutely love connecting with former students. Um, well, even just moving my dad into the home place in Henderson and, you know, somebody was in there in his room, putting up his window blinds and it was a former student. I was like, oh, and at first I think I recognized him before he did me. And it was like, oh my gosh, you're all grown up. They look at me like, uh, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> but, yeah. They can't put bricks on our heads. I know, <laughs> I, but I do. I get excited seeing, um, 
seeing former students just where their lives have taken them. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you say, you didn't want to do anything prestigious, but you wanted to give other people the tools to do prestigious stuff. (laughs) And it, it, it is, it is an honor for me to get to, to witness them in, in the prime of their lives. So Absolutely. Well, yeah. Stephanie, we've, we've made a little history today. At least I think we have. This is your first podcast, isn't it? It is. It is. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, it won't be your last. We'll have you back on here again sometime. <laughs> okay. But uh, we sure, thank you for coming on. I've had a blast. Now, last but certainly not least, I would like to know what advice you would give to um, future teachers educators who uh, aspire to make a difference in the lives of young children? Gosh, um, let's see. I think honestly, the best advice is to remember that, you know, with all of the stresses of, of teaching, whether it be assessments or what content you're supposed to teach, what standards you're supposed to to meet, just remember that again, we're teaching that child, not that grade or that subject or that content. Um, and if you connect with your student and with their family, you're going to meet those goals. You're going to make a difference. Absolutely. And, and you'll teach them life's lessons far beyond. Exactly. You know, That's what's so much. Exactly. I mean, when I think about a school year and, and what our greatest accomplishments were with any particular class I had, it's not what we learned in math or what reading skill they master. It was what they learned about life and how to just be a good friend and, and a good person, the best them that they can be. So that's what yes, it's all indeed. about. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Definitely well said. Well, thanks for uh, giving us some some of your quality retirement time. And <laughs> we sure appreciate it. Now, um, are there any, uh, just out of curiosity, any future goals and activities that you wish to pursue later in your retirement that maybe not be in the cars right now, but right. I really want to travel. Um, I had not traveled a ton outside of, you know, the Midwest. Um, and now that we've traveled out, out West here a few times, driving, um, back and forth to Kentucky, I would love to travel more. Um, and within the United States, I'm not looking at global travel right now. I want to see the beauty that our country has to offer. So yeah, that's me too. I'm hoping that I would love to see all 50 states, for example, or try to hit up all the national parks or, um, so yeah, I want to travel and spend time with my kids and my grandkids. So hear about all these people that have traveled so much uh, around the world and seen all these beautiful countries, but you ask them about someplace in Kentucky and they're like, huh? Right, right. Right. And not to say I don't want to explore outside of our country later, but right now my goal is to see what does our country have to offer that I've not had the the opportunity to experience yet. Yeah. Take in all the, the action and the attractions uh, between the borders here before you explore outside the borders. Exactly. That's, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you get out there to the beach. I know you will. I will today. <laughs> I've missed it. I've been gone a few weeks. So <laughs> yeah, I know you're going through beach withdrawals. Those Ohio I River am. beaches that you saw over the weekend. To start and they're the beautiful, same. just not the same. I need uh, that ocean. Yeah, not quite the same, a different animal for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. And Stephanie Summers, you rock. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. I'm honored that you chose to ask me to speak today. Stephanie Summers. She is truly one of a kind, and it was certainly nice of her to join me direct via Zoom from her retirement heaven out there in Oceanside, California. 
You know, it's thanks to Zoom that she and I were able to talk, and it sounds almost like we're right here side by side, even though she's on the total opposite end of the country. Just think, before I started this podcast a little over a year ago, a few months prior to that, I knew next to nothing about Zoom. But uh, thanks to some great resources and a great trainer by the name of Rick Boggess, who's actually totally blind just like myself over in Owensboro, uh, he helped me out a great deal and a few other people helped to steer me to some information. And uh, thanks to them, I was able to grasp Zoom, and little did I know that it would become such a huge part of what I'm doing now. By the way, Rick Boggess is a former guest here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, and uh, we featured him back during Season 3. He's a retired teacher himself. He was a, a teacher at the Visually Impaired, and if you missed that interview, you will be greatly touched. You will thoroughly enjoy it. You owe it to yourself to uh, go back and catch Rick Boggess on Blabbing in the Bluegrass if you haven't already done so. But if you'd like to nominate... Another exceptional educator. I have a hard time believing that very many people will hold a candle to Stephanie Summers, but I'm all ears and I love hearing about the great work that faculty are doing across the Commonwealth. So shoot me that email, bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. I don't care what they teach, what grade, what subject, where in Kentucky, as long as they are within the confines of the Commonwealth. We want to know about them so that we can give them the uh, attention and the time that uh, they so rightfully deserve. So send in those nominations, and maybe your favorite teacher will be the next Stephanie Summers to be featured here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And it was such a pleasure chatting with her, catching up with her. It's hard to believe that I had her, gosh, over 20 years ago at this point, 24, almost 25 Gosh, that's insane. There ought to be a law against that. We've talked a few times since then, but uh, not a great deal. So it really meant a lot to me to catch up with her on today's show. And hopefully y'all reaped the benefits and uh, enjoyed it just as much as I did. But before we put this thing to bed, I do have the answer to the Bluegrass Brain Buster that we gave you at the beginning of the program. And just like last week, it is a Florence themed question. Of course, our friends in Florence are up there in Boone County, just a short drive away from Cincinnati in northern Kentucky. But I wanted to know, of course, uh, Florence was originally incorporated back in 1830. Your question was, what was the community of Florence's first English name? And your answer, it was known as Crossroads. Crossroads, Kentucky. Of course, uh, prior to Florence's incorporation, it was known by two Native American names, Polecat and Powwow. Now, that was because the Native Americans used to come to Florence to exchange their furs. But once they were incorporated in 1830, well, it was located at the intersection of two major U.S. thoroughfares. So, it thus earned the name Crossroads, later changed to what we know now as Florence. Crossroads, Kentucky is your answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. That's what it was originally called when it was first incorporated way back in 1830. Another Bluegrass Brain Buster headed your way next week. Next week's show, by the way, will come out on November 17th. Wednesday, November 17th, so mark that on your calendar. In the meantime, 
email me or message me via the Blabbit in the Bluegrass Facebook page where all my previous episodes are. You can stay up to date with additional information on the show, make comments, so no reason not to like or follow the Facebook page. Also, catch us without paying one thin dime on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now Verbal. V-U-R-B-L, they are the most recent podcast directory to uh, pick up Blabbing in the Bluegrass, and I'm oh so thankful that they have just another outlet for you to enjoy the show each and every week. It's easy, it's free, and there's no excuse for you not to be here. Besides, I enjoy your company. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy mine half as much as I enjoy yours, because <laughs> if so, then I think I'm doing something right. But until we meet again, you know what to do, guys and gals. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep laughing, laughing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.